This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. I want to share something with you today and yesterday, oh, I don't know, a couple hours, hour or so before service, I changed my title, you know, and I've been working on the concept of, uh, you know, what it tells us here in the scripture, it talks about that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That sounded pretty good. And then I'm thinking, nah, I like the idea of crossing the finish line. That sounded pretty good. And then before I came to church, I changed my title again. Took a little bit of working on my lesson as well, but I, I wanted to call it Finishing Well. And that's kind of in my heart, and I will challenge you. And I think we all want to finish the race that we're in. I think we want to finish it well. Yes. You know, I really do. And so <clears throat> I would like to read, or we would like to read to you, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Every weight? If you were going to be in a race, would you like to carry a lot of extra weight with you? No. Fish weights in your pockets, things like that, you know, <laughs> 10 pounds of change, you know. Would, you, would it help you win the race? No. No, it would really, really, really mess you up, you know, slow you down. But it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, and this is talking about the men, the women, the boys and girls who've already gone to heaven, and they're with Christ, and they're like in these grandstands, and they're cheering us on from the balcony, all of our loved ones. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Strip off the, the weight. Get rid of the weight that slows us down. And then he says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Have you ever tripped? Yes. I don't know, maybe you got a bunch of extension cords and you're working on something and you know, you got extension cords all over the place and you trip and you fall. Or maybe you're outside in, in the woods or something and there's some vines or some little stumps and some little roots as you're, and you trip, that could hurt you, could it not? Yes. Absolutely. And he tells us here, you know, especially, he says, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us. And let us run... With endurance, the race that God has set before us. And you know what? This is what I thought of when I changed my title. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a race or seen a race, but when they do this, it's just like, okay, you won the race. You know, we, we wave the flag out there and you finish well. And I believe that's what we all want to do. We want to finish the race that God has set before us. We want to finish the race well. We don't want to fi finish it bad or not even finish it at all, you know. And he, let me see where I was at there. And then verse 2, it says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is how we, we strip off the weight. This is how, you know, we, we uh, get rid of the, the sin that's tripping us up. We do this. He says we do this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. And there's a lot that would try to distract us and look at anything and everything that has nothing to do with Jesus. But he says, let us run with endurance a race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. He's a champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, the King James Bible, he says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. But I like this here. It says that he, to keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. 
because of the joy awaiting him. And, and, and Jesus has joy that's awaiting him. Because of the joy that's awaiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross. So there was some great joy awaiting him. That's right, why he endured the cross. He went to the cross. The joy was he was looking forward to having a close relationship with you and with me. And he looked forward to us going to heaven with all those who passed on before us. That he considered a great joy. He came to this earth for the reason of going to the cross. He was sinless. And he's the one who could go to the cross and pay for the sins of all of us who are on this planet here. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And he says here in verse 3, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Now, I've asked this question a few times. I want to ask it again. Have you ever watched the movie called The Passion? If you have not, I encourage you to watch it because it's the most biblically accurate rendition of what happened to Jesus before he went to the cross. And I've told you this before, I, I think, you know, uh, before the movie came out, we were invited, you know, Mel Gibson invited a whole bunch of pastors. He was going to show the movie to them first, you know, down in Florida. And Susan and I went, watched the movie, you know, The Passion, and there were, it was a theater, it was packed full of people, and all, but all these pastors, I didn't want to talk to anybody, I didn't want to shake anybody's hand. All I wanted to do was go outside and find a lone place to cry. That's what I wanted to do. And when we came home, when the movie did come out, we rented a theater here in Southington, and we invited everybody who wanted to go to watch it with us. And the same thing, although I, I knew most of all the people were there, I just wanted to go outside and get in my car. You know, I just wanted to cry. Because what Christ did for us, and so that's what that movie helps us to understand and see what he did for us, what he went through that we should have gone through, but he took it for us before he went to the cross. And it says here, so if I can find it here, verse 3, think of all the hostility he, Jesus, endured from sinful people. And he never gave up. He endured all this from sinful people. And the passion will show you what that was like. And it says, you think of of all that that he went through, and then you won't become weary and give up. You won't become weary. You know, Jesus finished well, you know, and that's what he came to do. He came to do, and if you remember, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, does anybody remember where Jesus says, it's finished? But he finished well. He accomplished everything that he wanted to do, you know, and here's a song that echoes the thought of finishing well. Now, this song was written, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, and it's not so much a Christian song, but you can hear the, 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 uh, the heartbeat of Christianity in the song, and it's called Walking Her Home. And uh, you may have heard of the song before. Could you read it? Yes. Can I say one thing that I just noticed about this? It's yeah. interesting that it says that uh, we will endure by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And he endured by keeping his eyes on us, that joy that was going to wait him. I think that's pretty cool. Awesome. The song goes, looking back, he sees it all. It was her first date the night he came to call. Her dad said, son, have her home on time and promise me you'll never leave her side. He took her to a show in town, and he was 10 feet off the ground. He was walking her home and holding her hand. Oh, the way she smiled, it stole the breath right out of him. Down that old road with the stars up above, he remembers where he was the night he fell in love. He was walking her home. Ten more years in a waiting room at half past one, and the doctor said, Come in and meet your son. His knees went weak when he saw his wife. She was smiling as she said, he's got your eyes. 
And as she slept, he held her tight. His mind went back to that first night. He was walking her home and holding her hand. Oh, the way she smiled, it stole the breath right out of him. Down that old road with the stars up above, he remembers where he was the night he fell in love. He was walking her home. He walked her through the best days of her life, 60 years together, and he never left her side. A nursing home at 85, and the doctor said it could be her last night. And the nurse said, oh, should we tell him now? Or should, we, should he wait until the morning to find out? When they checked her room that night, he was laying by her side. Oh, he was walking her home and holding her hand. Oh, the way she smiled when he said, this is not the end. And just for a while, they were 18. And she was still more beautiful to him than anything. He was walking her home. He was walking her home. Looking back, he sees it all. It was the first date the night he came to call. He finished as a husband. He finished well. They finished well. In the book of John, chapter 4, verse 34, it says, Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me. And he said, this is my food. This is what I eat. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus said, the food that keeps me going, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me. And that's the food that will keep you and me going too. God's word feeds our soul. It genuinely does. And it gives us the strength and the energy to keep moving forward. And it builds our faith. And the Bible says, you know, without faith, you can't please God. We need our faith to continue to increase and to continue to grow. That's what he tells us. And he says, uh, uh, Jesus said, the food that keeps me going as I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work that he started. And as we feed upon God's word, it enables us to finish well, to finish well. And that's what he wants us to do, you know. So how are you handling, you know, what God's called you to do, you husbands? How are you handling the responsibility of being a husband? Are you finishing well? Ladies, how how are you handling this position of of being a wife? And how are you handling being a mother? And guys, how are you handling being a father? And you businessmen, how are you handling being a businessman? Are are, are you finishing well? Sons and daughters, how are you handling this? You know? Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Did you hear that? God says we got to do stuff and the people are so wicked here. And Jonah was a prophet. You know, and he said, I want you to get up and go to that great city, Nineveh, and I want you to announce my judgment because of the the wickedness of their hearts. This is what God had called his prophet to go to Nineveh and let them know about judgments coming because of the lifestyle that they were not finishing well at all. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. Wait, wait, wait a minute. God told him to go that way, but if you've been watching him and you couldn't hear him, he was going, well, well, God spoke to Jonah, and Jonah just hopped up and he took off. But that way was Nineveh. This is going toward Tarsus. It's like, did, did he misunderstand what God was telling him to do? No. No, he intentionally went the other way. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Let me ask you a question, a sincere question I'm asking you. Have you ever got up and went in the opposite direction trying to get away from God? You don't want to do what God wants you to do. Think about this. Has this ever happened to you? Went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord? He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket. Now, 
He bought a ticket. The good Lord would have provided for him a ticket and he could have went to, to Nineveh, you know, free. But when you start trying to go the opposite way of God, you're going to have to pay, you know. He had to buy his own ticket there. God wasn't going to provide for him to run away from him. That wasn't what it was all about, you know. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Hoping to escape. All these words here. Have you ever hoped to escape? Have you ever went somewhere and you've done something trying to escape? Oh, God won't see this or God won't know about this. Have you ever done such a thing? Hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish? Think, think about this. He, he forgot something. He failed to, to realize that God controls the wind. And these boats are on, they're sailboats. And they've got these big long oars that you can help the sails out a little bit in certain times. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Threatened to break the ship apart. You know, it's best not to run from God. It's best not to. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. You ever try to sleep off the tug of God at your heart? You know what? If I can just get to sleep, I've done some things I shouldn't have done. I went the wrong way. And, and, and hopefully it'll all be better when I wake up in the morning. And you're trying to, to sleep it off, you know, that tug. God's speaking to you. God nudging you. We, we try to sleep it off, you know. It's interesting that he could sleep with them coming up and down, dumping all the cargo overboard. I'm sure they you're, were, you're right. a lot was going on. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them. Casting lots is kind of like rolling dice. We're going to see which one of you is causing this problem aboard our ship. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Hmm. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Who made the sea. It's all stirred up right now. Who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Can you imagine that? Somebody gets on your boat, you get out to sea, so I'm I'm running from God, and all of a sudden a terrible storm hits. You know, it's just like, oh, you kind of figured that thing out. Oh, why did you do it? They, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse, all the time they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. It didn't sound like at this point that Jonah was going to finish very well, did it? Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. Can you imagine what profound impact it had upon all the other sailors who were living for false gods? They knew what was going on. They knew that Jonah was running from God. And he said, throw me in the sea and it'll stop. And as soon as he hit the water, it became as smooth as glass. I mean, it, it had a profound effect upon all those other sailors. That's for sure. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. They vowed to serve God. Have you ever made a vow? Yes. Wedding vow? 
you know, a business vow, a sign a contract? Have you ever made any other kinds of vows? Have you ever told God that I'll go wherever you want me to go, dear Lord? I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Uh, I'm all in. I'm yours. I, I give you my vow. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I assume that Jonah had probably, as a prophet of God, had probably prayed something like that in his own life at some point in time. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. For three, I'm just trying to find out where I'm at here. Did, did you know that Jesus quoted that particular verse in the New Testament? Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, I will be in the belly of the earth. That's where hell was at for three days and three nights. And as a kid, I, I was really perplexed. I, I heard people talking about, you know, you know, Jesus had died and, and all, and he, he rose on the third day, but he had, had been dead for three days and three nights, you know. And, and I always tried to add that up. I was really never too good at math, I suppose. But I tried to add that up, and you couldn't have been crucified, you know, Afternoon, sometime on Friday, and then you're 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 uh, buried Friday, you know, before the sun's going down, and then so that's just a little piece of a Friday, and then you're you're in the grave for all day Saturday, but as by the time the sun's rising, you you rise from the dead. No matter how I figured it out mathematically, I could not get three days and three nights out of that, and I did a lot of studying. And I hope it don't shock you too much. But Jesus was not crucified on Friday. I thought it was a good Friday. Yeah. I preached a message. I called it, well, what's so good about Fridays? Because, see, we don't know. It says right in your Bible. It tells us that Jesus was crucified. And, and they were trying to get him off of the cross before the what? The, the Sabbath. Sabbath. Do, you, do you know what holiday that was there? The Passover. It was the Passover. Well, it was not on Friday. It was a holy day. It was a high holy Sabbath. And you read your Bible and you study it and you do your homework, you find out, wow, how come, how come nobody ever told me that? And as I began to study this many years ago, I found out, and I found it throughout the scriptures, every step of the way when Jesus was crucified and when he was risen from the dead. But lots of times we just believe something because somebody says it, that he was crucified. He was, and he was in the belly of the earth for three full days and three full nights. That's what the Bible tells us. Genuinely, he was, but we just believe things. Anyhow, we'll talk about that and uh, get more involved with it at another time. It says here in Jonah chapter two, verse one, and then Jonah prayed. Now, do you really believe that prayer changes things? Yes. I do too. 100%. It says, And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. Have you ever prayed from inside of a fish? No. Well, it just goes to show you, you can pray in any situation. In any pickle you find yourself in, you can pray and you can get a hold of God. So it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Now, do you pray? He will answer you. Do you know how to pray? You know, one of the most powerful things is to learn how to pray the word. And you can learn, if you want to, you can learn how to pray in such a way that your prayers get answered. You genuinely can learn how to do that. The Bible coaches us every step of the way, you know. So if you're learning to pray... The, the word, you can have your prayers answered the same way we're reading about here. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. 
I will fulfill. This is Jonah praying. Inside the fish. And he's saying, I will fulfill all my vows. I know when you said to go to Nineveh, I jumped up and I went the other way. And I know I had already vowed I'll go where you want me to go. And I'll speak what you want me to speak. I'll do what you want me to do. And, and, and I disobeyed. And, and here we see that Jonah, there's repentance taking place right here, you know. And he said here, I will fulfill. What's that word? All. All my vows. 100%. Well, he surely wasn't fulfilling all of his vows 100%, you know. For then, my salvation comes from the Lord alone. alone. Salvation comes no other way. You remember what Jesus said in John 14? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. life. No one comes to the Father who's in heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. He alone is the way to the Father's house in heaven. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the size of that fish? All the guys were down there on the the, uh, beach there cleaning their nets and all. Some kids are all playing in the water. Some guy saw that big fish and started to go get a fishing pole. And said, Let's see if we can catch that rascal, you know. But the fish came right up to the shore, spit Jonah out on the shore. And there he is flopping around on the shore. He's been inside of a fish for three days and three nights. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. And, and his clothes are all bleached out. And his hair is all bleached out from the acid in the fish's stomach. And all these people end up going, running down to Nineveh, running into the city and say, you'll never believe what we just saw. This fish came up, threw up this man on the beach and the man's just up there flipping around and all of he's getting up. It looks like he's coming this way. That, that, that's what's going on. Then the Lord spoke, this is Jonah 3 verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Oh, he spoke... What did he tell him the first time he spoke to him? Go to Nineveh. I was asking them. <laughs> I was you one of those, gave them the answer. You know, I was one of those kids in school when the teacher would ask a question. I was like, so I guess I'm still doing when it. When the teacher asked me questions, <laughs> I hid them behind my desk. You know? But anyhow, this is what happens the Lord had spoke to him the first time and said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah disobeyed. He got up and he went the opposite direction. He went to Tarshish, had to buy his own ticket, got in this terrible storm, got thrown out of the ship, got swallowed by a great fish, got thrown up on the beach. You know, that's what has happened. So it tells us here. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. He gave him another alternative, another opportunity to finish well. That's what he's given him here, an opportunity to finish well. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. He didn't go the opposite direction. He did the first time, but the second time, after spending three days and three nights in a fish, I think I must have woke him up, you know. It's like, I better do what God wants me to do. And this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Destroyed. Can you imagine that? The prophet comes to town and everybody knows this is the guy who got thrown up from a huge fish on the beach. And he is, we better listen to him. There's something significant about this guy. Something weird, you know, but there's something going on right here, you know. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying... He stepped down from his throne. He stepped down from his throne. He is used to all the royal treatment, you know. 
But it says he stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes, his crown and everything. And the king himself dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. What a surprise. He wasn't acting royal at all. He's doing what Jonah said that God had said to do, you know, because there's this judgment that's going to come and the whole city is going to be destroyed. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. Can you imagine that? Your animals are you. You're going to fast until we tell you otherwise. And your animals can't eat or drink or anything like that. And he goes on and he tells us something even more shocking than that. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. Yeah. You think the animals look pretty funny? They're, they're all wearing a, a pair of trousers that's made out of burlap. And then they got a little jacket on made out of burlap. There's a donkey walking around with his burlap suit on. He's got a burlap hat on. And their chickens are wearing burlap. The goats and the sheep and all the animals are wearing burlap. Can you imagine this? Read that verse again. <laughs> Just kind of picturing it. Sorry. People and animals alike must. must. He says must. Did yeah. he not? Yeah. This is he the, said the must. king's, the king's this. decree. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone. What percentage is that? 100. 100% must, must pray, pray earnestly, earnestly to God. God. They must they turn must. from their evil ways. Turning from their evil ways. They must turn from their evil ways. Says this is a, the king's, you know, words that are going out. You, you must do this. You got to turn from your evil ways and, and stop. stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change His mind and hold back His fierce anger from destroying us. The king had faith. And he had heard enough about the almighty God. He knew that there was a potential of mercy and grace. He knew this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. And and what, what had happened, there was what we call repentance. Repentance is turning from your sinful ways and turning to God. And, and God saw that they were genuinely repenting. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. See, Jonah finished what God had begun in him. He, he repented and started going the right way. And I suppose, you know, it takes a few steps in learning what repentance is all about. I believe he ended up finishing well. What do you think? I think he, that he did. And, and it's a great lesson to all of us who choose to repent. And the, he was a great inspiration to the king. And, and uh, you know, Nineveh, uh, they diverted destruction because they repented from their sins. And they turned from their sin and from their violent ways. And they turned back to the living God. You know, it's just, that's just what happened, you know. And then we read a little bit, you know, a little story about the prodigal son. He took, you know, most of his dad's money. He spent it on riotous party and living and all that. And then a, a terrible famine came, hit the land. And he and all of his buddies who were only his buddies when he had money. And they, they helped him spend up all of his money. And then he was starving to death. He, he became very poor. He, he lost. He'd blown all of the money. And then he was trying to get a job, and the only job he could get as a little Jewish boy, the only job he could get is to tending to pigs. And that was considered unclean, and he he didn't really want to do that. But his job was now to slop the pigs, to feed the pigs, and to clean up after the pigs. And that's what he did. So here in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. This is in the Message Bible. It says, that brought him to his senses. He said... All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. This is repentance. He's turning from his sinful, selfish ways. And he's turning back to God and apologizing to his father. 
I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. That is repentance. And there's a, a restoration between him and his dad. And to finish the work that dad was teaching him and training him for, you know. And then here in the book of Mark, chapter 16, for, verse 7. And this is the women that were at the tomb after the resurrection. And the angel said to them, now go and tell his disciples. Tell his disciples. Including Peter. Now, was Peter a disciple? Yes. Wonder why he said, go tell his disciples this. And including Peter, tell him too. Peter, if you remember that last day there, you know, he, he was looking at Jesus from afar. And he was standing around a little fire, keeping himself warm. And on three occasions... Different people, different ladies, and said, You are one of his disciples. You was with him, and all the people around. And Peter was afraid. And he said, No, I wasn't. And then he swore. He was blasphemous, and he swore. He said, No, I wasn't. I wasn't. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. So when the angel said here, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. So he didn't feel like he was really a disciple anymore because he had denied three times that he even knew Jesus, you know. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Hmm. And then Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. God doesn't miss anything. God didn't miss the fact that Jonah got up on the wrong side of the bed and went the wrong direction, did he? No. You know, he doesn't miss anything and he don't miss anything about you. He doesn't miss anything that you've done or anything that you didn't do that you should have done. He doesn't miss anything. God knows. He loves you. He, He genuinely cares about you. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him. He knows the good. As well as the bad. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians. And that you, and you, that keep, you, keep, it, you keep at it. You know, you, you've determined, I'm going to finish well. I'm going to finish well and you keep at it. And I, I think most believers that I know, they've probably made such a statement that I, I hope when I get to heaven one day, And I meet Jesus. I I hope he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to finish well. And we want to hear him say, we did. Well done. You know, that's that's what we're believing for. Picking up here in verse 11. And now I want each of you to extend that same intensity toward a full-bodied hope. And what does hope mean? Confident expectation for the future. Keep at it till the finish. Hmm. Until the finish? Keep at it until the finish? Have awesome, wonderful, confident expectations until we cross that finish line and we finish well. Verse 12. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. Everything that is promised. And have fun one day, surely. But you can get everything that's been promised to you that God has promised to you that you can get while you're here on this earth. You know, live as though you're going to finish well. I believe that's the goal that we all should genuinely have, you know. Galatians 3 verse 1. This is in the Message Bible. You crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened here. For it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. Think about it. Do you have a clear focus on the crucified and resurrected Jesus? As the scripture told us early on, are are you looking unto Jesus? Who is the author and the finisher of our faith? Are you running the race? The way we run our race successfully is by looking unto Jesus. We keep in our eyes on Jesus. Or is he out of your focus? He's not really much of a part of your life. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. 
Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding? And the response is by believing what he tells us to do. Does God honor us because we're working our heads off? Or does God honor what we do because we choose to believe him? Mm-hmm. It's the believing. He tells us in Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 6 here. He says, you know, without faith, you cannot please God. There's nothing you can do to please God if you don't have faith. You don't believe what he has to say. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to believing God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts. Can, can we accomplish things in our own human effort? No. I've heard so many times people say, well, God's going to weigh all my, my good works. He's going to weigh all my bad works. And my good works outweigh my bad. I'm in. But he tells us that's just not the way it is. It's not by our own human effort that we accomplish anything. For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. Hmm. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? How, how, how do you suppose you could finish it well? If, if you couldn't do it by your own human strength, you know, uh, that's what he's telling us. Do you think you can disobey God and accomplish these things with your own human strength? Or are you going to have to repent? You're going to have to believe God and do it God's way. Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. You know, we need to repent. If we need to repent, we need to repent if we want to finish well. This is what God, this is, this is required to be right with God, that we repent. We turn from our sinful ways and we turn to the almighty God and we choose to do it his way. Colossians 2.10. So you also are complete. You're whole. He's talking about here. You, you're complete. You're whole. Through your union with Christ. And do you remember when Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are Heavy laden, and he says, take my yoke upon you. He wants us to be yoked. He wants us to be in union with him. And then in John uh, 15, 7, he tells us, if you abide in, in me and my word abides in you, there's this union. He says, you can ask for anything you want. It's going to be done. And he's telling us over and over and over, if we're believing him, we're in union. And we can see very well that Jonah was not in union. He was not united. He was not in one accord with God. Not in the beginning. You know, and, and things begin to change. Now think about this for a moment. And I ask you, which one of these represents you? Imagine that you were out on a, some big ship or something somewhere out at sea. And you, you fell aboard or whatever. And so now you're swimming and you're struggling. I mean, you're struggling to keep your head over these waves and it keeps sloshing you and all. And you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling and you're struggling to try to get to another boat that's over there somewhere, you know. And you think maybe, and you're struggling and you're struggling and your head's going under and you're struggling. You come up and you get a breath of air and you see there's some sharks circling around. And so you finally are able and you're determined to get over there to the boat, but you're exhausted. So you're no longer struggling. You grab a hold of the side of the boat and you're clinging. Which describes you better? Are you struggling to, to, to maintain your Christianity? Or you're just clinging with all the energy that you possibly have, just clinging. And this boat represents Jesus. Are you struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling? Are you just clinging to him, you know, just for, for dear life? And you see the sharks are still circling and circling. Or, or, or when you're there, you're, they're clinging and clinging. Do you throw your, your leg over the side of the boat and you climb up on the boat and you just lay down and you rest. You stop your struggling. You stop your clinging. And now you're resting in relationship with Christ. 
And what happens when you're in relationship with Christ? There's other people out there struggling to keep their heads above the water. The, the sharks are circling. There's a few that have got over close to the side and, and tried to develop a relationship with Christ, but they're just clinging with all their energy, just trying to stay a Christian, you know? But now you're in and you're rested up and you're resting, and now you can reach over and, and help those who are struggling and help those who are clinging, and you can pull them over in, 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 into the ship, and then what do we do? We hoist the sail by surrender. And this is how we surrender. We surrender to the almighty God. And Holy Spirit is often referred to in the Bible as the wind. The wind of God. You know? There was a, a, a wind that was moving. You know, over and over we see this. And so, you, you know, you hoist your sails. God pours his spirit upon you. And... And, you know, at his power, not your own, you're not having to paddle there or try to blow the sails, but it's the wind of God who's moving you and helping you fulfill your mission and what he's called you to do. Which one of these represents you? Are you a struggling saint? Are you just a clinging saint? Or are you resting, gathering souls, you know, who are drowning in doubt and unbelief and worry and anxiety? Which one of these represents you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. God saved you by his grace. And grace, it doesn't mean unmerited favor, but the best definition I have discovered in the Bible for the definition of faith is God's grace. In, what did I say? Faith. Faith. Grace. Thank you. That's why you're here, dear. <laughs> you can pick on me anytime you want to. Okay. But grace is God's enabling power we're saved by grace. We're saved by God's enabling power. You know, and, and you'll see that all through the scriptures. You'll, you'll see. And, and salvation and forgiveness is God's idea. It wasn't yours. That's right. God thought it up. And, and, and he wanted grace is that you don't deserve it. But he is giving you this power to enable you that's, that's not deserved. God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. That was the key. And you can't take credit for this. Can't take credit for it. No matter how hard you tried to get right with God in your own human effort. You say, well, I, I, live, I really live a good life. And I don't do this and this and this. And I do do this and this and this and this. And I really work really hard, hard, hard so I can get to heaven one day. It don't work that way. It does not work that way. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. From start to finish, salvation is a gift from Almighty God. It was his idea, his plan, all the way around. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You know, it's, it's because of our believing what God said. We believe what God said and we receive this wonderful, fantastic gift of this grace and this mercy and of salvation. Philippians 1.6 in the Message Bible says, There has never been the slightest doubt. No doubt at all. In my mind that the God who started his great work in you would we'll keep, keep at, at it, it and bring it to a flourishing finish. God's going to bring it to a flourishing finish, you know. And you're going to finish well is what he's talking about here. God will bring it to a flourishing finish. And he is coming back for us. He is. That's what he's promised to do. And God fully equips us for what he wants us and you and every man, woman, boy, girl on this planet. He has a plan for us all. And God equips us, you know, to accomplish what he's called us to do. And let's just take a peek here at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. And that about wraps it up. About wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. He wants you to be strong. We don't always feel very strong, but he wants to equip us. So take everything the master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best material. Take everything. Well-made weapons of the best material. He says here, you know, God has set this out. So take everything. That's 100%. This right here is talking about the armor of God. 
And he says in verse 11, So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best material. It's not soft metals and things that you can't fight with and all. He says take these well-made weapons of the best material and put them where? To use. In the closet. Put them to use. Put them to use. Apply them. Use them is what he's saying. And put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything. What percentage is everything? 100%. You'll be able to stand up against everything the devil throws your way. And he is always throwing stuff our way. Does the devil tempt you? He surely does. He's always throwing stuff at us, you know, but we want to finish well. And that's why the Lord is telling us that he will fully equip us and we're to take everything he set before us, all these weapons, and put them to use, he's telling us here, so we'll be able to stand up against everything the devil throws our way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. Did you know we are in a genuine life and death fight with the devil? The Bible tells us in John 10, 10, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy everything about us, everything about our life, our family, our health, our fight. He wants to destroy. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he comes to do. You know, this is for keeps, a life and death fight. To the finish against the devil and all his angels. And and, and this is real. But we want to and we can finish this fight. Well, as we take everything that the Lord has given us to fight with. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued. And every piece of the armor. You know, armor that men thousands of years ago was made out of metal. Some of the armor was made out of leather, you know. But the armor of God is made out of the word. It talks about the the shield of faith. He tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing the word. And every piece of the armor is shaped and formed and made out of the word of God. It is fantastic and it is wonderful. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth. And, and this is a part of the armor. Righteousness. Part of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Peace. The, our feet are shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Faith. Our shield of faith, you know. And salvation are more than words. You know, they are... They are the armor of Almighty God, and it's all formed and made out of the Word of God. Learn how to apply them. To learn them. how to apply them. If you got a sword, you want to learn how to, to use the sword, right? So I was going to pull my knife out, didn't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I brought it. But I never leave it at home. <laughs> but he says, learn how to apply it. Learn how to use it. Learn how to... Scare the devil off with it. And the Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He tells us how to apply those things. And we, we use our sword by saying, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the way it happens. You'll need them, these pieces of the armor, throughout your life. Wow. God's word is an indispensable weapon. Did you read that right out of the Bible? Mm-hmm. You didn't just make that up, did you? No. Nope. God's word is an indispensable weapon. His word produces faith. But without the armor, I'll be honest with you, it'd be impossible to finish well. Mm-hmm. Without faith, without the armor of God. And in verse 18, it says, in the same way, prayer is essential In this ongoing warfare, prayer is. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And you never stop praying. I think we talked about it last week, if I'm not mistaken. I asked the question, what does the Bible say? 
You know, and we've learned this through lessons and study. You pray. How long do we pray? We until you pray until he says pray without ceasing. You pray until your prayers is answered. But you learn to pray effective prayers. You, you learn to pray the word. You know this. This is what he tells us. And listen here. And, and we're about done. Matthew chapter seven verse seven. It says, "Keep on asking." This is Jesus making a statement. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for, and you will finish well when you learn how to ask like Jesus wants us to. He says, there we go. He says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find, and you will finish well when you keep on seeking. He says, you're going to find and you're going to finish well and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you and you will finish well. You do what Jesus says to do. Don't do the opposite like Jonah did, you know. Verse 8 says, for everyone who asks, receives and they'll finish well. That's what he's talking about. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open and you will finish well. And everyone who seeks, Finds and you'll finish well. And all these things that he's telling us, we apply these things because this is an indispensable weapon. It's God's word. And we get to learn how to apply these things. And then he tells us in the book of Acts chapter 20, picking up at verse 23. In the Message Bible, it says, I do know that it won't be any picnic for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. Have you ever dealt with hard times? Yes. Well, what if you knew, well, there's going to be some really tough times ahead. Uh, are, are you just going to give up and quit? And, well, I'm not going to finish well. I'm just going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know? But that matters little. What matters most. It doesn't matter about the hard times, does it? That's what he's saying. It don't matter about the hard times. It don't matter about the, the apostle being in prison for preaching the gospel. He says, but that matters little. What matters most to me. What matters the most to me. Is to finish what God started. Finish. Finish well what God has started in you. What God has started in me. Finish it. And finish it well, what God has started. The job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone. And what percentage is everyone? 100%. Were to let everyone I meet know, know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. This, he says, this is the most important thing. That's her job. Not the. Not the part of the, dis, you know, there will be disappointments and difficulties and all that kinds of stuff. But he said the most important thing for, for us is to let everyone that we meet know about the incredible extravagant generosity of God. That's why we're still here. To let other people know. Because see, everybody, the only way they get to heaven is through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if we don't tell them, they won't know. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you genuinely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that someone told you about Jesus? Mm-hmm. Someone told you. Mm-hmm. All those hands. And somewhere, whether they're on television or in a book or in person, however it might have been, you finding out about Jesus give you the option to believe in him so you can finish well. And you'll live with him throughout eternity. But that's how people come to know Jesus. Is from other people who know him. He tells us right here, and this is our, our last little phrase here in the scriptures. Acts chapter 20. Verse 21. This is in a different translation. It said, I have had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike. And it never changes. The apostles have one message. I just got one message. I don't have a dozen. I don't have three. I don't have two. I have one message for Jew and Gentile alike. And that's really here. It never changes. And this is it. The necessity of turning from sin. He said, this is my message. To turn from your sin. And what? Repent and turn to God. He says, to turn from our sin. And 
turning to God. We've talked about it before, oh, a few months ago, we talked a little bit about repentance. It's like making a U-turn. Have you ever made a U-turn? Did you get pulled over by a police after you did it? Well, I think if, if I think that if you and I turn and make a U-turn spiritually, where we turn from all the sin and all that kinds of stuff, and we turn to God, God will be delighted. And he'll bless you for that 100%, you know, so we, we understand. It talks about this one message for the Jews and Gentiles alike. It's the necessity of turning from sin and turning to God and of faith in the Lord Jesus. And this causes things to finish well. And then he goes on and says in verse 24, but my life is worth, what's that? Nothing. No thing. My life is worth no thing. My life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work, the mission assigned me by the Lord Jesus. My wife, my life is worthless. It's empty. It's shallow. It's hollow. No matter what hobby, no matter what I do in my life, if I don't include telling people of the good news to turn from their sin and to turn to God and he forgives us and he helps us every step of the way, my life is worthless. Otherwise, the work, he says, let me read it again there. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. That, that's our, our, our one message. That's what God has committed to each and every one of us. We got to tell other people about the good news. And the greatest news that there is, is what we're getting ready to celebrate. Do you know that? He says, if we confess with our mouth in Corinthians, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. You have to believe in the resurrection. You have to turn from your sins and turn to God. And you must believe that Jesus, after paying for our sins, he rose from the dead. That's what brings about salvation. And, and, and the gospel in a nutshell that we all can just take, and it's, it's enough to, to help you accomplish what God's called you to do. It's in John three sixteen. It says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. And whosoever believes in him, and that he rose from the dead, believes in him, would not perish, not die, but have everlasting life. That's the news. That's the message. That is wonderful. And people cannot get to heaven without Jesus. And God has given us that responsibility. He's given us all the armor that we need to make it happen because the devil tries to fight against us so we won't speak up and tell people about Jesus. But God gives us all the armor and he challenges learn how to use it. Well, you know, it's so important that we know Jesus. And I would ask you right now, if you would, would you join me as we reaffirm our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And maybe you're here and you say, well, I, I, I can't reaffirm my faith. I never express my faith in the first place. Well, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in the building and you've never declared your faith in Christ. Well, would you declare your faith with us right now? We, or, or reaffirm your faith with us right now. And I'll lead you in this prayer and I would ask that you just pray it out loud along with me. Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. And I do believe that you sent your son, Jesus. And I do believe that you sent your son, Jesus. And he gave his life blood. And he gave his life blood. When he died on that cross. When he died on that cross. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of our heart. And he's knocking at the door of our heart. And we open wide that door. We open wide that door. And we welcome Jesus into our life. We welcome Jesus into our life. As our Savior. As our Savior. As our Lord. As our Lord. And our King. 
and our King. And we turn from all those sinful ways. And we turn from all those sinful ways. And we choose to follow Jesus. And we choose to follow Jesus. And to live for you, Almighty God. And to live for you, Almighty God. Help us, Almighty God. Help us, Almighty God. To finish well. To finish well. That's what we want to do. That's what we want. Fill us with Holy Spirit. Fill us with Holy Spirit. And empower us. And empower us. Fill ourselves with your wind. Fill ourselves with your wind. And help us to make a difference in other people's lives. And help us to make a difference in other people's lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.